Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Gay With God podcast, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Or are we still searching? The stories you hear on this podcast will melt your heart and strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible and you can be authentically gay with the God of your understanding. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay with God podcast. I'm Midge Noble, your host, and we have a returning guest, Kaylee Hargrove. She is a writer, theologian, ordained minister, and director of digital outreach for the Center for Prophetic Imagination. She lives in the greater Atlanta area with her partner and two kids. Kaylee has been part of the LGBTQ plus activism, bringing awareness of the legalized discrimination queer and trans students face at religious universities. She received her Master of Divinity, emphasizing in biblical studies from United Theological Seminary of Twin Cities. And Kaylee, welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. Well, thank you for having me back. I'm so excited. And I had dinner with a dear Facebook friend who's very um connected to the podcast and to the Faith Journey group. And he said to me just yesterday, I loved that interview with Kaylee. And I, when you said you were bringing her back, I was like, thank goodness, because I wanted her back. So I'm like, well, just wait. <laughs> She's back. So I am so excited. And one of the things that felt incomplete to me last time is that we talked about everything that brought you to who you are now and what's going on now. And you had one little quick phrase in there and you said, <laughs> it said, well, that's, that's when my egg cracked. You talked about that. That's when trans people re- recognize who they are. And, and then we moved on and you said, and there's a story behind that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's the story I now need to hear. <laughs> and I know you and I just spoke briefly and, and there are certain things about that, that you can't share with, with respect to everybody involved, please go in there a little bit. And then, and then I think what we're going to do after we can kind of clear this up for Mitch, (laughs) (laughs) then we're going to talk more today about affirmation and solidarity and how churches are set up and why it's not always helpful for us. So please, Kaylee, educate Midge and tell me about (laughs) this egg cracking. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like you said, um, the the term egg cracking means whenever a trans person realizes that they're trans. That's um, that's li- literally all it means, uh, and you'll see it like on social media and stuff. But yeah, for me, um, realizing I was trans came after like a really long, like a really long time of of. I think last time I said it's not deconstruction; it's just learning and growing. Um, and during that time, like. Accepting trans people is like the absolute last step um, on on that process because, like, at first it was like it, it was one thing to realize that certain aspects of evangelicalism is really kind of messed up. Like, there was a family member who had a lot of like health issues and basically went from like being a uh, relatively like normal adult person with, with like a kid and was married um and she had some health things that that happened and but she lived but she can she came out of it with a lot of like a lot of long-term 
um, damage and like her quality of life is no longer what it was. And it, and so like, it kind of, it kind of struck me really weird that all of these like evangelical, like really faithful people were looking at that and be like, praise God that she lived. And it's just like, I mean, I'm not saying that I wish that she had died, but like there is in fact this disconnect between what people believe uh, or what people say they believe and what people actually believe. Because like in, in an evangelical understanding, she can no longer take care of herself. She she needs to have a caretaker. She can't be a, can't really be a parent to her kid. In, in like an evangelical framework, like dying is actually the better, right? Like mm. the the point is to in fact die and go somewhere else where it's better right uh-huh. and it's just like there's this disconnect between like praising god for somebody living even though it puts them in a lower like quality of life and it just like to me it didn't line up so that was like something that i like i really struggled with this can be a very long way to answer your question <laughs> but it, okay. it's it's more details about like uh different different things that i like had to work through and question and like that opened up like this question of if you're an evangelical parent and you believe in eternal conscious torment, like what's the over under percentage of taking that bet of like, if you have three kids, there's a, there's, there's a good chance at least one of them isn't going to stay Christian. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're, you're risking the creation of children for the, and for the possibility that they might go to heaven, but at the same time, they might go to hell. Like what's the over under here for, for it being an ethical choice to have children within the evangelical framework? (laughs) Like just some of these things started to really uh, break down on like these fundamental like understandings and disconnects in theology, as opposed to real world application And, and like recognizing the fact that we have like the social structure within evangelicalism that has taught us to think of different things in certain ways that even like, it doesn't matter if it lines up theologically or not um, because it's within the, like the world that we live in, we just accept it as truth. That really struck home with things like homosexuality because I started to look at like what the Bible says about homosexuality. And I honestly doesn't, what the Bible says isn't, isn't what evangelicals say it says. Uh, if you study it, uh, mm-hmm. like at best that you can come away with is um, ambiguity of what the Bible says on homosexuality. Like that's at best, honestly. But then the, the only thing that's really pushing people to say that homosexuality is a sin or not a sin really comes down to whether or not they want to uphold their cultural tradition and their uh, their theology really has no basis. Other, Its basis is more in culture than in actual biblical study, uh, which is that first step that I took to become affirming is recognizing that cultural implications to how we live actually <laughs> determines our theology more than like the Bible determines our theology. And so, yeah, like that was, that was a, the first uh, like step for me in becoming affirming. I still, like, I was still super reserved about uh, trans people because, because the percentage wise trans people, there's not as many trans people as there are like bisexual people. And honestly, there's probably more bisexual people than statistics say, because uh, those are based off surveys and surveys uh-huh. are based off people that have ideologies, right? <laughs> like, well, I, have, I have a theory. 
and surveys are based on whether or not people are telling the truth. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. How many fill them out? And yeah, so like I, I have a theory that most people are at minimum bisexual, for the most part. Um, it might not be true, but that's my theory. <laughs> You're allowed uh, to have one. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like, I actually think that it's a minority of people that are, uh, that are straight, like just straight, straight people. Straight, straight. Like, yeah, yeah straight, without straight. any other <laughs> whatever, without any yearnings yeah. or leanings or. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the the number, like especially with because men are men are the most reserved for some reason. Uh, it's more culturally acceptable for women to be into women than men to be into men. Mm. I don't know. It's weird. It's um, an ego thing, I think. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> but but you can't like. I think even some of the most like, uh, I don't know, like culturally manly men, I think probably have more uh, bisexual leanings than they would they would like to lead on. Oh. But yeah, sorry, that was a rabbit trail right there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, it does come down to the fact that we we do have a a, a cultural understanding of gender and sexuality that, in fact, informs our theology and not the other way around. And, and that's just something that's something that we have to deal with uh, mm -hmm. and and actually work through because that's gonna that's gonna affect so many areas of our life Re recognizing where where things come from culture as opposed to where things come from actual understanding uh but like gender was a little bit different because like whenever we only have like a basic understanding of gender and did I share last time I was on this like uh, my seventh, my seventh grade biology teacher taught us that men and women had different number of ribs. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, I wasn't getting the most gender expansive uh, education, not even scientifically accurate, because that's not that's not true. <laughs> uh, humans have the same number of ribs, regardless of of the genitals that they're born with. So like my yeah, my understanding wasn't even a qualified like seventh grade biology level of understanding of gender. <laughs> right. That's that's where we were at. And so like th there there's definitely this there's definitely like a knowledge gap there to to really kind of start to question gender and because i still had this like understanding you know uh like kindergarten cop has bo boys have penises girls have vaginas like that's it um like it really breaks it really breaks down uh whenever you look at it because intersex people exist right like right they, they just do and there there's this understanding that intersex exists because of a broken nature because of the fall which if you hold that theology, please stop it because that's <laughs> uh, um, it's it's actually uh, erasure of intersex people. It's I don't know I don't know if intersex phobic is a word, but it should be uh, mm -hmm. like intersex people are are actually part of nature. It like they are who they are, and that right. is who they are. To to say that they are a product of sin is is so dehumanizing. It's it's mm -hmm. it's disgusting. Like. Mm -hmm grow up get a better theology um like theology of the fall didn't exist until like basically uh basically augustine if we think augustine is if we think augustine is a church father that's like saying that bernie sanders is a american founding father because there's actually more there's more time in between jesus and augustine than there was between the founding of the united states and bernie sanders so wow. like <laughs> 
put put that into perspective. Like the fall was not a original ideology. It's not found in Jewish uh, in Jewish understanding. Like get over it. There's actually a lot more you can learn about that entire story. But to think that somebody exists because of the product of of the fall is incredibly dehumanizing. And and some people some people got to grow up. Like come on. Um, so do you think yeah. it, for you would it have been easier for you to to have come to an identity of being gay, you know, lesbian or bisexual than trans? At that point. At that yeah. point, yeah. Um, the problem was is I was pretty much solely into women. I mean, I had been with my partner for um, 11 years at that point. Um, let's see. Yeah, 11 years. And like all my relationships have been with women. That's primarily who I'm attracted to. <laughs> like I, it, it wasn't until after I came out as trans that I was like, you know what, maybe let's actually think about this. And then it does turn out I actually am um, attracted to to men and non-binary people and the whole spectrum. I, I'm I'm what's called uh, omnisexual, mm-hmm. which is a little bit different than pansexual. Pansexual is like you're attracted to, to people regardless of gender. Uh, omnisexual is more like the way that you're attracted to people changes depending on their gender, which is interesting. But yeah, like I'm attracted to men in a different way than I'm attracted to women. And then like people between that like very wide spectrum, uh, depending on how, how they are and who they are, like my attraction changes based off of I, I mean, I guess it's probably my perceived gender for them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it might, that might still be something that I need to work through. But um, yeah, I do find that my attraction is different depending on the person that I'm attracted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, like I, but I had worked through um, finally becoming affirming and, and like my partner and I were talking about it quite a bit. And she, well, one, she, like, she kept saying, uh, asking me if that, like, there was something that, uh, that I was like, if I wasn't just a straight guy, which at the time I was like, no, I'm, I'm only into women. And so, yeah, so like, she was, this is like, she was trying to figure out what was actually going on with me. Mm -hmm. Um, eventually she ended up asking me if I, if I'd be interested in wanting to do drag and, Mm. I kind of miss, I like, I misheard her question and, and I, I thought she was asking me if I would, if, um, I would rather have been a woman. That was like, that was like the moment for me of like things clicking. And, and even at this, so like, even at this point, like my, my, my exposure to trans people was so like limited that, uh, I, I didn't even know that what I was experiencing was, was gender dysphoria or like an experience of a trans person. Like I like we talked about it some and I literally had to go and Google what I was feeling to, <laughs> for it to come and say and be like, well, I mean, yeah, I didn't give me the answer. It just gave me like sure people that were trans having similar experiences. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, like within one day of like my my partner asking that question, like it felt like all the pieces were coming together. And like these things that I had experienced, like all the way from elementary school and like all throughout growing up and like my position and yeah, just like feeling not, not like feeling like I had to perform masculine Mm -hmm. is basically what it was like. 
I had 30 plus years of performing masculinity and fighting against who I was. Mm -hmm. And to, to finally have those be put like the puzzle pieces put into place. And like, finally it made a picture and it was just like such a big, like aha moment of, wow, my, my life actually makes a little bit of sense now. And Mm. so, yeah, like for me, like it came on as a rush, like right away. It was yeah, it was a lot <laughs> um, at the time. Right away, after 30 years, yeah. it was right away. Well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but see, but, isn't that amazing that we can hold things back for such a long time, but then when the when mm-hmm. the insight happens uh, for you, when the when the egg cracked, for me, it was when, mm-hmm. you know, that aha, oh my God, I really am gay. It's like all of a sudden when you know, then you cannot turn that off. You can't go back. Yeah, and, and like for me, a lot of it was, a lot of it was not having language. Um, mm-hmm. When you grow up in such a small community that is very queer phobic, mm-hmm. um, everything is put in the gay or normal <laughs> like framework, and, and yeah. there's no there's no nuance or anything like that. And like I knew from as young as when the Lion King came, the Lion King came out <laughs> because. Uh, Elton John did the music and I had an aunt say that uh that the music was wrong because Elton John was gay. Like that that I was like 7 maybe. Um I don't I don't remember exactly when it came out, but like I've known for from such a young age mm-hmm. that you know being gay is wrong and mm-hmm. uh like that got reinforced whenever uh, I had a cousin come out as gay and and he lost complete connection with her family because mm. our, our family disowned him. And, and so there's these things that kept coming up. And so the the things that in me that felt feminine, I had to push down because feminine, if if you're born male and, and feminine, th- you have feminine things, then you could be gay. And if you're gay, then that's wrong and sinful. And, you know, people are going to beat you up on the playground, but also you could lose your family. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and whenever that's the only language we, you have for that framework, like, one that's terrifying yes um but but second that that means more uh, more expansive experiences you have no way to process what you're feeling because you literally don't have a vocabulary to express them so like when my egg cracked and like i finally did some google searches and finally had some language to put it like put it together my mind's like oh these are the words that we use this is what you're feeling and is like finally putting words to something that you've experienced for 30 plus years. And I don't know. I, I don't know of another, like, <laughs> the, I don't, I don't know of another equivalent thing to, to talk, talk about it. It's like you, your brain can't fully process an experience if there isn't language able to um, be associated with that experience. So it's it like it kind of just sits there, but it sits there in a, like a form of, of nothingness, I guess, like mm-hmm. just kind of this void that can't be processed. And so whenever there is language and it comes forth, it's like, wow, that's been there the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's hard too, when you don't have any other role models that have not been maligned. So mm-hmm. the people that you knew that came out and you saw bad things happening, that set the fear in motion, which shoved all insight and all processing back. And you didn't have mm-hmm. any other ways to look at other people. Like for me, even though there might have been 
some people on television. I mean, of course, there was no one on television when I came through. We didn't have any people that we knew that were gay and affirmed or gay and successful. It was all yeah. the the horror stories of how degenerate they were and how they would have sex mm-hmm. with animals and you know all these things. And those were the images we had. So the struggle is is so pervasive and it it stops people from being able to move on with their lives in healthy ways. I believe that for me, I put a lot of roadblocks in in my own way because I was feeling so much shame about what's going on inside of me that I couldn't even acknowledge at the time. I didn't know what it was. I just knew there had to be something wrong with me just mm-hmm. because of the, the messages that I got from that. And I didn't even know I was gay. I didn't even have an inkling that I was gay, but I took on the shame and I took on mm-hmm. the homophobia just because mm-hmm. all of my role models were telling me so. Yeah. And yeah, I like I grew up, I mean, I was a 90s kid, I guess. Uh, so like the only experience you have with trans people is like Jerry Springer from the times mm. when you stay home from school sick. Like <laughs> that's uh, like that. That's the extent of it. Mm. Um, and that's not <laughs> this is not a good uh, framework of, of trying to understand like yeah human gender through Jerry Springer, which is designed for conflict and for dehumanization of right. anyone that doesn't fit heteronormativity. Well, and the same thing applies to any movies back in the day. Any movies mm-hmm. that you saw, the gay person was always the murderer or the <laughs> degenerate. I mean, it yeah. always came yeah. out that way. And so it was ridiculous to try to you know, change that. You can't you yeah, can't I get think, a better picture when all the pictures you get make it look like it's such a horrible thing. Yeah. And I think the only movie that I know of that had a trans person in it was Ace Ventura. And uh-huh. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the also not the most no. uh, positive. Mm-mm. No. No. So where do yeah. we go from here? <laughs> <laughs> Onward and upward, right? <laughs> yeah. What do you think needs to happen for our society to start to get a clue? I mean, that's such a big, such a big question. Because, I know. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess this kind of goes into the, the other topic that we had discussed mm-hmm. uh, uh, talking about. Um, th- so there's the sense that liberalism is the opposite of conservatism and that's that's simply not actually true uh both like both framing between liberalism and, and conservatism it is was formulated essentially during the enlightenment whenever uh whenever there was this push for understanding and thinking that progress towards european civilization was uh reaching reaching essentially the peak of humanity, right? And then you ended up with two different splits. You ended up with liberals who were like, we know better, <laughs> like we know better and our way is better. And so let's, and we're going to keep progressing and we're going to get there because we know what we're doing is right. And then there's the conservatives that are like, no, it's not about progression. It's about, it's about maintaining the, our understandings that we already have, um, but really, those two things are two sides of the same coin of 
the idea that the the enlightenment and post-enlightenment European understanding of the world was in fact the peak of humanity. So it's like the 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 truth is is they're both steeped in colonialism and white supremacy. Like even Schleiermacher, for for those who don't know who Schleiermacher is, he he's known as, theologically known as the father of liberal theology. He was a very smart guy. He really did push a lot of new ideas that uh, are used today. However, he he actually believed and spoke. Well, I don't know, maybe not spoke about. I know, but at least wrote in one place that he didn't believe miracles were needed anymore because uh, there's there's no other <laughs> proof for the existence the existence of God than European civilization. Like that was his that was his, his understanding, and that's the father of liberal theology. Mm-hmm. And and if we don't understand like how that is centered in your a eurocentric understanding and white supremacy we're, we're probably gonna miss the rest of it because that that's i mean that's honestly what we're dealing with that that means that other cultures with their understandings are somehow inferior which the majority of other cultures actually do have a more uh diverse understanding of of human gender and sexuality i'm not saying that that there's probably not a honestly there's probably not a culture that has it all figured out in a right way or whatever like our i know our culture doesn't i still know that my understanding of gender is probably not going to be it's probably going to be thought about as like very um <laughs> like i don't know pr- product of her time type understanding like a couple of hundred years from now that's okay <laughs> but the but the idea that the idea that we had it figured out in a european context the idea the idea that a binary was this thing that was just known that was part of our understanding of our our religion our tradition and that the point was <laughs> the point of humanity is reproduction because we came like super focused on reproduction as being the point of humanity to push us forward like um all of this really pushed into this narrative of gender binaries that were instead of learning and progressing like liberalism says that it's about um it became about just imposing like <laughs> european ideologies on the rest of the world either with the smile with, uh, like liberals or with a scowl like conservatives but it's the exact the same thing and so like we're not going to move forward as a society until we actually understand that our foundations in and of itself speaking from a american like western perspective like are inherently broken mm-hmm. our foundation our foundation for america is inherently broken because of because of white supremacy because of colonialistic understandings like the erasure of of indigenous people like that wasn't just us getting something wrong that was literally a result of our ideologies and theologies whenever it came to other people maybe america was founded primarily by protestants that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean protestants like didn't follow through on um what uh, what was that uh whenever the pope said that you basically you can conquer any land that's not Christian. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, do- doctrine doctrine of discovery. That was basically Protestants' understanding with America. Also, like 
we 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 move into Georgia and just take uh like Cherokee land and there I mean there's a lot of different <laughs> there's a lot mm-hmm. of different native groups uh, in Georgia but Cherokee was big and, and it's okay because they they aren't Christian they need to become they need to become Christians and become more westernized and civilized and so we put people in indigenous schools and erase their cultures and make them right. act like act like good white little kids but then we still don't treat them like they're white because they're not and we're Mm -hmm. super racist like this is our foundation like we get to where we are politically today both republican and democrat through the same like through Mm -hmm. the same start and and we have Mm -hmm. to recognize that our foundation is inherently inherently corrupt so i i mean i don't think that you blow everything up and start over but like whenever it comes to figuring things out, we got to understand that we have to rebuild the foundation and, and rebuild up instead of trying to fix the things at the top. If we just fix things at the top, then it's, it's not going to stop. It's, I mean, you know, you end up what's happened uh, with affirmative action in the Supreme court, Supreme right. court just said, no, like they, yeah. they were able to do that. I mean, I, I support affirmative action. It, it was a, it it was good um but at, at the same time culturally we never addressed the foundation that made affirmative action needed so right. if we're just fixing the top without fixing the foundation we're going to end up with we're going to end up with what we have in the supreme court right now <laughs> where uh rights well, it, are being taken away almost every week and the the thing that that worries me is that we would have to agree that starting over is what needs to happen and even though we're not going to just throw it all out but if we're if we're saying that it's inherently broken and all political parties came from the same place there has to be some common goal where we could come together at the table and say as a group without it being political or motivated that way, <laughs> that we need to reconfigure and rethink who we are as a country and what we want. Mm-hmm. I love the way I that mean, sounds. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds great. It's it's probably impossible, but the but the question you asked wasn't. Yeah. What what can what, we do it? Uh, it's, can, what should yeah, we can do? We do it? What should we do? So. Yeah. And you're can, correct. Can, you're correct. <laughs> Can and should are two very different things. <laughs> yeah, and I don't like to should on anybody, but I do want us to be able to say it out loud that it's going to take that much of a monumental, because we get so frustrated mm-hmm. that nothing ever gets better and things continue to go on and why can't we fix it? Well, we can't fix it because everybody is afraid to let go of whatever power they have. Mm-hmm. And there's no trust. Nobody trust anybody to come to the table and not have an agenda because everybody has always had an agenda. And especially for the marginalized folks, we don't get to have a seat at the table often. And when Mm -hmm. we do because of numbers or because of whatever we're dismissed. And so it it's going to, it's going to be a huge ongoing thing that we need to show up at the tables, whether we think we're going to be listened to it all 
or not, just like right now, we continue to show up, speak up, stand up, be vocal so that we don't get erased because that's exactly what they're trying to go back to the time where we didn't exist, even though we did and always have, Mm -hmm. but they didn't see us as much because we were all too afraid to be out. So now we have to make sure that we as a collective group, not only vote for what we need and what we deserve, but we need to be as out as possible if we're safe enough to do so, because we have to be visible so that we can have the validity that we deserve. Yeah. And that that's where so the, that's where the difference between affirmation and solidarity comes in whenever we're talking about people that aren't necessarily part of of the LGBTQ plus community. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. and this like this is a big call for especially mainline and progressive churches. Like affirmation is great. I, I'm happy that you are inviting me to your table. I am happy that uh, you have gender neutral bathrooms. I'm happy that you like have queer people in your leadership and serving on Sunday. But at the same time, I need you to do more because if if you're not going to, like all of your affirmation is great and it's nice, but it's going to end with the rights of queer people being taken away. Whenever it comes to whenever it comes to churches, we have to understand the power dynamics that have existed in our churches from basically the very beginning. Whenever uh, mainline churches had to deal with whether or not they were going going to let black people join their churches, right? So that was um, like definitely in the eighteen. Well, it was actually before slavery ended, and this is why there are uh, denominations that are predominantly black uh and there is what mm-hmm. we call the black church it's it's because white churches didn't want black people in their churches mm-hmm. like we got to recognize that first of all mm-hmm. second of all some churches some churches became okay with black people being in their in their congregations sitting amongst white people which that was that was a thing because uh white white people didn't want black people sitting like equal with them so that's right. why that's why there's balconies at some of these right. really old churches. Like, right. if, if you if you go to a church that's 200 years old and there's a balcony with seating up there, guess what? Mm-hmm. Gonna have some history there that you, that you gotta um, unpack. You gotta yep. look at there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like even even the churches that were as quote progressive as as what they could be at the time. I don't know um, who went as far as letting black people sit amongst the white people in the congregation right mm-hmm. um still very few would let let them be like in leadership or preach but at the same time it's still not addressing the issue that th- there still wasn't ever going to be equality because it was white people with power saying hey you can be here with me and then we we have that repeat whenever we're dealing with affirmation and, and and denominations have programs to become open and affirming or 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 whatever like the UMC has uh, the reconciliation ministries, um, United Church of Christ and Disciples of Christ they have open and affirming. I think Lutheran or something has welcoming and affirming. It's still like these programs are great and, and they are they are helping people become affirming uh, and that is a step 
but it, it's the first step. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Because you still have to understand that these churches going through these these programs, they, they're not talking about whether or not <laughs> queer people are ontologically equal to white people. Or, or yeah, actually, I'm going to keep that. I know that I said white because I was just talking about race, but mm-hmm. you know what? That's actually still uh, relatively true. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like Melissa Wilcox says, like the male, the white male cisgender heterosexual person is the standard, and then the further that you get away from that is seen as more sexualized and more deviant, which mm. uh. uh holds up but so you have these churches that are like working through their affirmation process and they're talking about theology and they're debating and then it all comes to this accumulation of a vote where they either vote to become affirming or not become affirming but we're not taking a step to say what does that actually tell a queer person that you have to vote on whether or not they are an equal human as the people that are already there yeah. And whenever those that vote does come through to say we are going to become affirming, all they're saying is, yeah, we hold the power. You can hang out with us, but we still hold the power. Mm-hmm. There is still no ontological equality between uh, between straight people and queer people, between cisgender people and transgender people. It is still the people that hold the power allowing those who don't hold the power to show up in the in their same spaces. So the, this is where affirmation like does not live up. It affirmation is not solidarity. There's there's a lot of churches that are actually taking that step to to move past affirmation, and, and that's great. Uh, and 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 they're doing really great work. But the problem is we don't see that like we don't even we don't see that on like denomination levels. Uh, we don't see that in uh, organizational levels. We'll see that within churches. Like there'll be groups within churches. There'll be churches themselves but it's not there's not an actual thing that is happening like nationwide or worldwide something that we really have to focus on is that move from affirmation to solidarity a church that is unwilling to leave their church walls and go show up to the church capital is not not church the the state capital is going to see is going to see queer people in their state lose their rights they're going to they're probably gonna uh, be nice and help queer people pack up as they have to flee a state. That is not solidarity. It's I, I don't you can't have an open table while you don't have an open state. That's mm. just that's just the truth of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so we like as queer people in the United States right now, we're we're honestly facing a style of fascism that is starting to rival a lot of uh of nazi germany um yeah. a lot of things being said about queer people are word for word what were being said about queer people by nazis um the the truth of the matter is nazis targeted queer people uh. um i i believe that they targeted them before they even targeted jews the first book burning was books written on uh, human sexuality and gender at one of the largest uh, university like institutions that was studying it. The target started with protect protecting children from the queer contagion. Like that's literally things being said right now. That was things being said about about 
uh, queer people within Nazi Germany. The direction that we're going right now, especially with our Supreme Court, like our Supreme Court is literally like reversing, uh, reversing rights, Mm -hmm. like almost with with almost every week. And and even this week, um, a judge in Tennessee cited uh, the Dobbs decision and stated that Tennessee can um, can ban gender affirming care because the founding fathers didn't have that in, basically didn't have that in mind when they wrote the constitution. So then Tennessee can ban it. Well, that should be a red flag for literally everybody because the founding fathers had slavery in mind whenever they wrote the constitution. So there, if if that decision upholds, then there is no there's no legal protection for non-white people like against slavery now because when we're able to say that oh this wasn't this wasn't the intention of the founding fathers well you know what that's actually probably a good thing our founding fathers left in slavery our founding fathers uh carried out genocide against indigenous people like uh george washington everybody loves george washington right he was a great general and he helped us beat the british and was a great first president right yeah, he carried out genocide on indigenous people. Uh mm-hmm. and the the people that he carried out genocide on, you know what? They did have uh an understanding of of uh, a broader understanding of gender and sexuality. Uh there are two-spirit people that mm-hmm. still recognize or still identify with that tribe because luckily um, <laughs> luckily, George Washington wasn't as successful with genocide as as in other areas, and he didn't, in fact, kill literally everyone, but still, still carried out genocide. <laughs> uh, like this is our history. Yeah, and we like conservatives like to point out, like, like to say that uh, liberals are revisionists because we don't want to, like, <laughs> we don't want to have the Confederate flag flown like and call us revisionists are you serious like your your understanding of history ignores the plethora of travesties that you, that people have carried out and like it's not that hard to recognize like my la- like my last name is hargrove right hargrove is actually a rather common name in in the south it's pro- there's probably more uh there's probably more black people than white people that have the last name hargrove Knowing history, that means that uh, that the Hargrove name is associated with raping of slaves, because mm-hmm. that's how you end up with a lot of ways how you end up with a white name because Hargrove comes from Scotland. It's a Scottish name, uh, and black people having that last name it generally comes from the raping of of slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, I can like I can date my family back to the Mayflower. Mayflower carried out genocide like just because just because that's your history that doesn't make you an awful person ignoring it so you can continue to be an awful person yeah that makes you an awful person but the the truth of the matter is that is our history we have to deal with it we have to improve on it or we're going to like those who don't study history are bound to repeat it yeah we're in the middle of that right now where we are we have a literal party like trying to work a new form of genocide and trying to work right. a new Nazi party. So what does solidarity look like? 
what solid solidarity looks like and and it can come in like obviously there there can be different levels of, of solidarity um but like practical things that a church can do to sustain in solidarity like put together a group from your church uh that is ready to go whenever um whenever legislation is about to be um where there's going to be hearing especially a public hearing like at the state capitol the, the how these things work with something like trans healthcare is they they don't release that it's going to be talked about until like the mm -hmm. night before or the day mm -hmm. up and the majority of activists have day jobs work. yeah <laughs> right? work yeah. yeah or or like i have i have kids and you don't know when it's going to happen at the courthouse, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I can't just go hang out at the courthouse to get my chance to, to be able to speak. But, hey, if you have retired people in your church that actually want to stand in solidarity, put a group together. Pay attention to stuff. Read up on what is going on so you have the talking points and you can show up at these hearings and speak out and be like, hey, I am a member of such and such church. Mm -hmm. I am a Christian. I believe that this is against my Christian values to and use that type of language because the 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 people that are passing those laws are are pointing to their religious understanding. I get that that's not separation of church and state, but we've not had that in yeah. politics and no. um but rec like speak out that this that the loudest form of Christianity out there isn't the only form of Christianity. Be able to speak up with facts, be able to have stories there's probably there there's a good chance that there is a trans person in your congregation or a trans person associated with your congregation in some way have those stories like be ready to speak out go and speak at these fest uh, at the these protests or go actually not necessarily that as much go and be at the protest help, help out do things like uh, volunteer to to bring water if if like the protest is in the south like we need water <laughs> um but like showing up in ways that actually help where to help others get their voices out be able to speak whenever others aren't able to speak uh like you've got to do that and you can't hide back and think well if i do this people people might think i'm trans well that's you dealing with your own transphobia right there mm -hmm. work on that Mm -hmm. recognize solidarity means being seen as somebody that is marginalized if i'm marching in a pride parade i if you're gonna be there you need to be able to hold the trans flag just as high as me whether you're trans or not and be willing to be identified with me recognizing that that is a place of vulnerability mm -hmm. being trans in america right now puts a target on you yes and being willing to have that target placed on you as well like that's what solidarity is. So we need churches to actually stand, step up and be willing to have that target placed on them just as much as it's already on trans people and queer people throughout our, our nation and throughout the world, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's not just America. No. <laughs> um, it's just what we're facing in America. And mm -hmm. that's where both of us live. And so it's, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> because the thing is, and I've, and I've said this before, if if you're at a church, that's not affirming, but you say you're our ally, you have to be willing mm -hmm. to speak up at your church and be a voice and, and have that 
glare come back at you <laughs> the way we yeah. have it come back at us. I mean, you have to be willing to do that. If you say you're an ally, it's not just by word only, it's by action. And it's by taking the risks that show that, making sure that mm -hmm. you understand who you're voting for. No matter which way you are persuaded to go or what political party or no political party that you're affiliated with, what are the specific people going to do when they get into office and being willing to break out of your party line if you are an ally to really say, I will vote for somebody who's going to protect all people. And and that's that's happening, I think, some. And I know that the Episcopal Church has a lot of social justice that they do. And I know my mm. own priest has walked in picket lines and, and been out there advocating for us. But yet I, I agree with you that most churches will say that they are allies or they're affirming, but nobody goes. You know? mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right. And I think that for kids coming up, even though the generation now is a lot clearer than we ever were, you're younger than me, but we had no education. We had no internet. We could not mm -hmm. Google <laughs> anything. And kids now are so more, much more aware, but that doesn't mean that they have the right information. And that doesn't mean that they have support because they're still mm -hmm. living in families that are very closed systems. So this this conversation is definitely, you know, one that we could we could have for years to come, unfortunately. The change is going yeah. to be very slow. The one bright thing that I know is happening is that there has been enough awareness in the last several years that there is a problem and there's awareness in some churches that being gay is not a sin. And mm -hmm. that's the shift that we needed to get started. And we are far yeah. from done, but there's a shift that some churches like the Episcopal church has made that shift that it's not a sin and that they do stand behind their word and they do make it in the canon that yeah. gay people <laughs> cannot be discriminated against you know, in, in the Episcopal church, that is something that's happening now. And I want it just to continue and to get more for sure, because yeah. not everybody is safe for sure. And we don't know what the Supreme court will do next. And we don't know what the next election is going to be like. So we're not safe. No, we, we, we are not. I, I do want to say though, if, if you are like in a, a leader in a church and all of this work and effort has to be with the expectation that it doesn't matter if people go to your church because of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like fight for people's rights, whether or not those people are going to oh, show right. up at your church on Sunday. Right. And that like that's a like that's another issue that I've seen is people wanting to be affirming, but with the expectation that queer people are gonna show up in your church. Uh I hate to bring it to you, like the church has a long ways to go to actually feel like queer people should be showing up. Like, and it might not be your specific church, but you like, we're not, we can't pull a no, uh, no true Scotsman fallacy here. Like, mm -hmm. churches need to recognize the harm that all of Christianity has done, right? And recognize that 
reversing that is going to take a lot of time and you probably aren't going to show up at the church capital and then get a bunch of young queer people showing up at your church. It's just not going to happen. Right. But you still need to show up because yes. it's still the right thing to do. Yes. I love the way you ended that. You're absolutely right. So guys, thank you for listening. And thank you for taking the time out today to be with us. And I can tell you that Kaylee will be showing up again on a panel that I'm getting together because we're going to talk about, and we've kind of touched on it today, but we're going to talk about what is keeping our LGBTQ community away from church and what can we do about it. And so that's going to be a panel that I'm putting together. I can't give you a date yet because there, it's a panel. And that means that we have to coordinate <laughs> several different schedules, but that's coming up and I can't wait to do that. Um, so Kaylee, thank you. Thank you again for coming. Of course. Uh, you were a fan favorite from last time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> so I do want to thank you. And listeners, I want to thank you for coming back each week, supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see more information and links to connect with Kaylee, go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. At that show page, empoweredmidge.podbean.com, you can access a new offering from Dr. Keith called Inlet Journey, Your Deconstruction Guide to Seven Key Theological Topics. It's not unusual for a person to begin questioning their faith of their past, especially when they have been abused by the church due to their sexual identity. And Christians have been deconstructing for thousands of years, trying to wrestle with their faith and how best to live it out. The problem is it can be a daunting path, and we may feel completely overwhelmed and just give up. The Reverend Father Dr. Keith Brown is an affirming Anglican priest with years of formal education, self-study, and practical experience around these very issues, and has put together a deconstruction guide course to help you better understand and wrestle with seven key topics, including Bible, clobber verses, God, atonement, church, Lord's table, and baptism. In this course, you will be provided with practical journal questions to help you process these important topics for yourself. And as a bonus, you will receive a free group membership where you can ask questions, offer opinions, and make friends with other students in the course. And the best part, the affordable low price for this course. So check it out today at the empoweredmidge.podbean.com show page. And remember to check out the Facebook group, Gay With God, where we do a monthly Zoom group entitled My Faith Journey. If you need support or help with your own coming out or your faith journey, go to the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and see how you can connect with me. I will be at the Wild Goose Festival starting Thursday. And apparently, so will Kaylee. So <laughs> we just found out. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. So we're going. I mean, Not... it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. It's too late. This comes you out will have missed it. After... But I'm telling you this yeah. because if you like this conversation and you would like to connect with more like-minded people, the Wild Goose Festival happens every year. So Google the Wild mm -hmm. Goose Festival. You'll, you'll find lots of other people that do podcasts there and you'll find lots of enlightened people who do not come from the same background, but that we all coexist and it's very affirming and very loving at the wild goose. So thank you everybody. Do, so, yes, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I do think that I will be recording my presentation because I'm presenting with the place that I work at the center for prophetic imagination. And uh -huh. I, I'm at least going to be trying to record my presentation presentation and then that will be online and so if you're not able to go to wild goose by the time this comes 
out. Well, okay. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get up by the Monday following <laughs> Wild Goose, but shortly after probably mm-hmm. you, you listen to this, uh, my my presentation should at least be up uh, on as a video somewhere. Okay. So. And if you can send me that link to your video, I'll put it on the show page of this conversation. And so that can be on the episode to promote it here too, if we can make that work out oh, technologically. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, you yeah. are so welcome. Okay, everybody. Well, thank you. Stay tuned. Uh, to see how you can become a member of the Gay With God community. And as always, you are loved. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.